0: How to make maximum money with minimum time. I Which actually the really like headline. I actually ever. really I like really the book like title. That's a yeah. book title. I
1: have that book. But yeah, that's actually a good book title. <laughs> that's the way. a good book. That, that, yeah. That's not a scam. I really like that <laughs> <Yeah>. one. Actually, <laughs> maximum money, minimum time. It's like, it's it's just, like a pamphlet. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when I first saw that headline. I was like, that is literally perfect. <laughs> that is literally perfect. And it's, I think it lives up to its name. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey, welcome to the Friendship Futurism podcast, where we talk about friendships in the 22nd century. I'm your host, Bill May. Today, I'm chatting with Neville Medora. Neville is probably the most talented writer and communicator I know, and he's been a really helpful mentor to me from afar in leveling up my copywriting and communication skills. I credit a lot of my writing talent to his work, so I'm really excited to chat with him today. Neville runs copywritingcourse.com. This is a paid community for people wanting to learn how to write better. In this episode, you'll learn about how to 100x your engagement in online communities, specific tactics you can implement to make other people want to talk to you at conferences and parties, strategic risk-taking when sneaking into events, how to resist propaganda, and so much more. Probably Neville's most famous blog post is when he talks about how he wants to die on his 85th birthday by jumping into an active volcano. So, of course, I have to ask him about this. Neville, what is the name of the volcano you're
1: going to dive into when you're 85? I don't know which one. Uh, okay. I, I'm, I'm still deciding. What's a good one? Okay, um, so
0: I have uh, a volcano in mind for you. In fact, I yeah. have a skydiving company. We're going to call them. We're going to book you right now for your
1: Oh, but well, you don't need a skydiving for what I'm doing. You don't need a parachute.
0: All right, you're just, well, but like, you know, you need someone to tow you up and... Do all that, right? You're gonna fly your own plane. I got friends that fly planes. Okay.
1: Yeah. Lot well we're we're gonna
0: see how this works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna book you right now, if that's okay with you. Uh
1: 2067? <laughs> yeah, that's oh, right. Jeez. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're gonna see what they say. Hello? Hi, this is this Skydive Hi? Yeah. Hi, this is Bill. Uh so this call is recorded. Um, but uh, I have my friend Neville who would like to book a skydiving adventure in 20... 67.
1: 67.
0: Uh, is that possible? Can we do that? Uh, your friend wants to make a reservation for skydiving for what day? Uh, when- November 17th, 2067. November 17th, 2067. November,
1: she- November
0: 7, seventh, two thousand 2067. We can pay for it now. <laughs> no, you can't do that? Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we'll call you back then. Okay. All right, thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all right
1: they're probably like, what the hell <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah but so like so i see i wanted to see how serious you were but you went through with that so that's good
1: <laughs> oh i mean i, I yeah. know the date and everything yeah
0: okay that's good that's good that's something i've always wanted to fact check ever since i started reading your blog so i am satisfied oh
1: i mean that date. that date was picked it was originally 80 it was originally 80 and it was modded to 85 okay yeah
0: after I, all the medical
1: advancements we've had not really not no it was more like uh, i wanted to have kids at 40 I so I'm, I'm 39 now yeah, so I want to have kids around that's 40. very soon. Yeah, that's very soon. <laughs> Do you have a wife? <laughs> well, we won't talk about that. <laughs> okay, uh, but uh, but I want to have kids around forty. So I was like, uh-huh. I wonder if I'll be able to see kids because, like, I think as as a society see. moves on, I think right. people have kids later and later. Yeah, and I was like, maybe I'll see my kids uh-huh. like grow up and have children of their own.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense.
1: Um. Okay. Well, thank you for humoring me on that. <laughs> Tell me about the
0: paid community inside copywriting course. How's it been going? How did it get started? Are people engaging?
1: What the community is, is basically, I've I've sold courses for a long time. And I was part of a bunch of big newsletters, and people say, Neville, how do you make me read your whole newsletter? I know you're trying to sell me something, but I still love reading. And so it's a thing called copywriting. So I started a thing called Copywriting Course. It took off, it branched off into its own company, and we sold training for copywriting. So originally the training was, you watch a bunch of videos of me. But this is circa 2012, 13, something like that, right? So sitting there and watching videos about copywriting, you can do that on YouTube now, right? So you have to kind of amp up the game. So eventually I started saying, what if instead of just telling you about copy, you show me some copy and I'll redo it for you. And I'll just show you how I redo it. And so we started these things called office hours. Mm-hmm. So we do these live calls, but then there was no place to really store any of these threads that were going on. Like here's a bad piece of copy, here's how we updated it and here's the final results. And so I started a forum and I started a forum and not a Facebook group for this reason. With a Facebook group, you cannot actually post long stuff. You can post like comment bite-sized stuff. It's almost like tweets. But you can barely even post inline images. You can't post tables. You can't post any of that stuff. So we need a custom forum to do it. So I made this copywriting community that we've had. That's like uh, roughly 1,000 members or so like that, um, active members, and then more that have been through it. And so it's all of our courses in one combined with this community. And so that's basically what it is. And that's how it started from that. Amazing. And it's kind of cool because you could actually post your copy, and our writers and myself will like go through and like rewrite it.
0: Yeah, I really like that you also kind of open sourced it in a way because you have this page where you kind of show
1: all of the comments that people are making.
0: Yeah, I mean, not the content of the comments, right? It's a feed. But the, like, yeah, yeah, it's a feed of all the.
1: Activity. Well, it used to be like it's an active forum, and I'm like, why well, don't just show it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't need to say it's active; I can just show it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Amazing. How do you get other people to help each other out instead of you know you being the person always doing all the helping, right? Like, how do you get people to proactively
1: also, you know, help out themselves. Well, one, you have to incentivize people. And you have to make it a win for them, right? So you have to make it like a win. I always like everything should be a win, 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 a win for me, a win for the community, win for that person, right? So the problem is with a community, if someone's going in there and, uh, you know, basically doing all the work for me and commenting on people's posts and stuff, what's in it for them other than like a small amount of exposure to that small group, Right. And so what I've done is that's how you get a certification. You hit a hundred posts. And also, I mean, this wasn't a lie and people think I'm trying to lie about it, but it's like, if you actually give feedback to other people, you learn more. So if you go and look at someone's homepage and be like, here's why I think it sucks. Here's what's bad about it. Here's where I didn't understand stuff. You start going, oh, I didn't understand his headline or I know what the software does, but I don't get why I should buy it. Right. You start learning those things yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the ways then two, some people just naturally do it. And there's a thing called the 90 nine one rule that you may have seen on my newsletter. I reference a lot and it's just, I don't know who made this up, but it's just like basic, not a law, but kind of a rule that happens in big communities where 90% of the people just lurk 9% sometimes, uh, participate. And 1% are the ultra hyper users, right? So this happens on Reddit. This happens on Facebook. I bet if you load up your Instagram or your TikTok or whatever, you'll probably see the posts from like the top 1% of your friends that post all the time. Like I could probably name five of my friends that post a million times a day. And then the rest are like their occasional, the regulars over there, like every week they'll probably post something. And then the rest, I don't even know I'm following them. Mm -hmm. So that's usually what happens too. There are like a vocal minority of people. And then there's like the occasional lurkers, the occasional person that comes in for a couple of things. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people just lurk and watch what's going on. A lot of people come to all the office hours that we do, the live ones, never participate. They just like watching. (laughs) Yeah. So, But but to get people active, you have to uh, actively get them to do something or give them something. So, for example, I used to want a lot of blog comments. And I noticed if I just said, I send an email out about something and say, comment on the blog. How many blog posts do you think comments I get? Two. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe, maybe zero, right? But then if I say, I'm going to give my top three favorite commenters— a free shirt, Mm. right? So it's like, okay, 40 bucks out of my pocket, big deal. Or some sort of prize, like I'm gonna send you a free PDF of my book, I don't know, whatever, anything. You basically get 100 comments. Interesting. So if you incentivize something, you get far more engagement every single time. That's why they'll be like, take the survey, you get a $25 gift certificate to Amazon. It's not from the goodness of their hearts because zero people on the planet would fill that out otherwise.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I should start doing that for the show.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you want people to comment, for you reviews. have to you have to make it a win for them. There that's has the to be some sort of incentive. Yeah, yeah. Why, why else the way they do it? Because they love me, Neville. That that but that could be. But say, so what if you say you respond to every single one? If they do love you so much. Oh, that's true. Response from the Bill May would be great. Well, no one's been uh, responding to me, so they don't really love me. But it's fine. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> you got to incentivize yeah. it. but it's so, true. Yeah. I got to pay for my love. Offer free Pit hour consulting session for programming or something like that. Something okay. that would be valuable. That's true, yeah. Expensive. Yeah. Yeah, except for you, a it'd good be one. easy. And almost like a win that you get to talk to one of your customers. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Or listeners. And I get to learn by teaching. Exactly. Yeah, you'll probably do it like five times a be like, yeah. okay, this is too much. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> too good of a gift.
0: Uh, so in every community that follows this 99-1 rule, Uh-huh. How do you then kind of get more people from the 90 to the nine? And how do you get more people from the nine to the one? Is it purely incentivizing? Because it almost feels like the people in the one are like kind of crazy in some way that the people
1: in 90 are not. Sometimes, sometimes they're motivated. Sometimes they're crazy. There are some people that are very enthusiastic and I think they have like a little, a screw loose, like you can kind of tell. And like, I'll, I'll tell my like community manager, I'm like, yeah, just just watch out for this one. (laughs) Like we might need to kick them out. But there are some people that are just very uh, dedicated to learning. So I, I tell people, I'm like, try to hit a hundred posts, comment on things, do the assignments, do all those types of things. And most people will do that. So that's the way I've been able to get people from the one to the nine. Yeah. That's mainly that the nine to the one, nine to, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. 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 The good ones, the yeah. good ones. Yeah. yeah. Going from not doing anything to doing something. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So there are some people that do uh, are, they're like, you know what? I paid money for this course. I'm going to get what, what it's worth. I'm going to interact with Neville to interact with the community, the writers I'm going to learn. And they usually just do well. You can you just kind of tell someone who really takes initiative. You're like, they're probably going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I bet the uh, 99 one rule applies to your friendships too, right? Mm, of course. Yeah. I'd say there's like some, a core. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I said, think about your own friend group. I bet there's like, I mean, you've moved around cities and stuff, but I'm sure there's like a constant study of mm-hmm. friends. I'd say your family's probably your one. I, I'd say at least mine is. Yeah. And then there are probably friends. I hang out with my friend, Noah Kagan, uh, Nick Gray, who just interviewed a couple other people. Those yeah. are like my one. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Why is it that
1: some friends end up being one and others end up being 90? I think proximity is a big thing. Also, one of my buddies, Sam Parr, who you may know from the internet, um, he, uh, me and him live uh, four houses down. We live like 120 feet away from each other. I mean, we walk to each other's house through the alley. We share an alley at, like barefoot, you know, like that's how close. And so I see him almost on a daily basis if he's in town because of proximity. That's a big one. Uh, there's some friends that you talk to all the time just because you grew up together. I think, uh, you know, love is familiarity over time, that kind of thing. And so people I talk to, a lot of my family friends I still talk to on the phone all the time. Even if they're not in the same city, that's a big deal. But I think proximity is a big deal. So if I well, want to be friends with you, I should just move in with you. I mean, I'm if saying. you live next door to me, don't you think you see me more? I guess it depends on what I'm
0: doing next door, but...
1: Yeah. I mean, in general, I bet you would have more chances of random bump-ins, right? I'm a huge fan of the pop-in. I came from an immigrant family. I think like going to India every two years, you kind of see like people living in communities and it kind of staves off loneliness. And like, it solves a lot of the problems that you have in like individualistic society, like the United States. Yeah, It's kind of funny. Like I bought a house recently and I thought everyone's just going to be like, oh my God, a new neighbor. They come and say hello. I'm like, I'm the one doing it. (laughs) I reached out to everyone. No one like reached out to me. Some people will stop by while walking their dogs, but they'll never make any formal plans or anything. Right. And it's kind of puzzling. I'm like, you're my neighbor, like just for safety reasons, we should know each other. Yeah. And so, so I reached out, had a neighbor's party, that kind of thing. But I think it's very important to have like a good close geographically close friendship group too.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think when I was living in Austin, it was the same thing, right? It's like, I'm new. I literally, what I did was I, I printed out my photo and like an intro and I taped it to the doors of all my neighbors. <laughs> and I said, Hey, like I'm Bill, I'm new. I'd love to get to know you. Like, here's where I live. I put where I live, obviously, so that they know I'm not a random stranger. And then I just, like, invited people to come chat with me. Did they, I mean, do they
1: think it's a prank? There's, like, so. an Asian dude named Bill with a cowboy hat on? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "What? The, this um, can't be real. This is yeah. obviously a prank. <laughs> yeah.
0: This guy looks like a
1: meme.
0: Oh, man. Uh, I, I, try, I try to be a meme. So thank you. I take that as a compliment. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How old are you? I am 29. Nice. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's, uh, w- why? Wait, is, is the cowboy hat a constant thing? You uh, know like Elon
1: Musk's brother does that. He always does wears he? A cowboy. Okay, hat? Yeah.
0: it's it's no, it's because um. Well, I'm making the trip to Austin, right? I gotta wear a cowboy hat. Ah, got I it. Know. Yeah, a, a special occasion.
1: So if I come to Boston, I like I don't know, have a yeah a well, uh, like like, like, like a, I dress like a Irish pub, yeah, no, like some <laughs> something like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love Boston so, in know, the yeah. summer only. Yeah. Not other time. Red Sox fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: If it's easy to make friends when you live next to people, yeah. How would you make friends if you were homeless?
1: Uh, well, I because have been, been homeless you have been before. homeless I have been by homeless. choice, by choice. Yeah. 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 not by circumstance, yeah. I wanted to be homeless and figured out. It was actually pretty easy when, so that was actually very geographically based, right? Like I I had no communication. I did have an iPhone to document part of it. I wasn't showing people I had a phone and I, that was one of my parents' requirements that I carry a phone with me, at least in, in secret. But while I went, uh, the homeless experiment, I went homeless for four, four nights, five days, I had no plan of where to stay to like simulate being homeless. And the people that I lived, I lived under a bridge with a guy named Black Mike. That's what he called himself. And uh, he was my friend. He was a little crazy. I mean, he would like watch pigeons for entertainment and be like, that's the brother. That's the dad pigeon only. All right. He might eat me. But, um, <laughs> but, but he, he, I guess he was my friend. He taught me to box. He, he used to be wow. a boxer. He taught me to box. And so then I stayed in the homeless shelters. And you just kind of like get to start talking to people. And I think it's like people in your same situation that are undergoing the same thing. So if you are homeless and uh, you're you know just like, hey, where's a good place to hang out get drugs around here or whatever, like you're all friends. Like that's that's what it is. And by the way, there was a lot of that. And so so that's like you're in the same situation. So if there's a bunch of uh, billionaires or famous actors, they all hang out together, right? Because they can mm. understand That type of person. They have the same problems, they have the same issues Mm -hmm. that other people may not be able to relate to. And so I think that's another thing. So for example, me and Nick Gray co-hosted a Twitter party at my place. So I had this idea that I was like, I I was, I'm kind of new to Twitter being posting every day for the month, last like month and a half or so. And I was like, I am meeting an awful lot of very interesting people, billionaires and famous people and stuff. Well, you can DM them and 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 have conversations. And then a lot of them were in Austin. So I made a little list called like Austin. And I'm like, yeah, I could just invite these people over. So I started doing that by doing co-working sessions. So this is another tip. I frequently have people over to co-work. So I live in a part of town that's pretty easy to get to. It's right by E Sixth Street, and so people can come over to my house pretty quick. Co-work for two hours. If I don't know them, it's just like one on one. We can talk, we can chat, we can work, whatever. Have a sparkling water, and that's how I get to know them. And so I did this on a larger scale with the Twitter party. We limited it to about twenty-five people, so it's not like too big. Also. I was inviting a lot of strangers over to my house. And so I was kind of like, these are the people you already like know from Twitter. And like, these are real people. They're probably not insane. That kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I didn't want to just say like, Hey, anyone can come because a lot of people reached out of the woodworks. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So I think that's a way. So with people with similar interests, and it's kind of crazy because we're all like Twitter dorks, we probably all follow roughly similar things. We probably see each other. And so you're like, oh, my God, I know this from you. It's like you know that person. So in fact, all of my best friends, I'd say like uh, Noah Kagan, uh, Sam Parr, all these people I know through their blogs. That's how we know each other. We know each other through the internet. And it's because we have, we read each other's thoughts. We have similar brainwave kind of things going on that we're just like, yeah, we could probably hang out. This is probably easy. Mm-hmm. So most of my best friends are from the internet. All right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because like writing is almost this intimate act in a lot of ways compared to speaking, right? Because you're excavating your inner beliefs and kind of malleating it and like, it's not a real word, but um, (laughs) you have time to kind of put together this packaged vulnerability that you're releasing onto the world.
1: Well, let's put it in a real world situation. Let's say we walk into random bar, any town USA, it doesn't matter where. And you see a big cast of characters. You see a bartender, you see some people playing pool. The guy I would be most likely to strike up a conversation is the one like working on the laptop you know, by yeah. a pool table, like his friends are playing pool. He's like just sitting on a laptop or reading or something like, Hey, I wonder what that guy's doing. And then there's like some attractive girl. And you're like, the only reason I want to talk to her is because she's attractive. We have nothing in common as far as I know. But the guy in the laptop, let's say has a MacBook Pro and a Homer Simpson sticker on it. Like I do. I'd be like, Hey, hey we got something in common. That's someone I'd probably get along with. There's this commonalities. I see. It's nice. Yeah. I see. Interesting. Do you think then people who don't write are they're not amplifying their thoughts, and therefore maybe missing out on a lot of people. It's like someone who doesn't date online. They're like, I won't join the apps. I yeah. won't do online dating. It's I like, see. well, then you're missing out on this entire world of people. Yeah. That you otherwise wouldn't meet, right? Right. Makes sense. You, the, the only people you are ever going to meet in your life are just people who have physically been close to you. That's right. it. Within a ten foot radius of you, and you've struck a conversation, yeah. or a friend knows them somehow, and they're somehow in your vicinity. But so, but what's
0: interesting is you've somehow managed
1: to both find people who are in your intellectual space, but also in your geographic space? Well, I mean, I think fortunately we live in Austin and Austin has been gaining a little bit more clout. It's always had some sort of like tech clout. I live in Austin because my whole family lives in Houston and I've always liked Austin a little bit better. um, So I could go back and forth. I was not willing to give up the proximity to my family. And so Austin has always had that. And now it's just grown in prominence. And a lot of my friends from San Francisco have moved here. Right. So it's been nice. I think that was just a stroke of luck. If I was in uh Middletown, Ohio or something, mm. eh, you know, maybe that would be a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then it, I think it's even more important to be on the internet.
0: Right. Yeah. Move to Austin if you want to make friends. I so. mean, or, or be on the internet because they're it's all true. on the internet, right? Yeah. They're all on the internet. See, they this is the reason I Austin. left Austin actually is because I didn't want to make friends with people who only live on the internet because i i felt like every party i've been to it's like oh yeah what's your twitter or like oh yeah like what do you think about crystals? Well, you know, shouldn't have come to my, my uh, Twitter you, thing. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, also, <laughs> yeah. there, there is this new thing that, like, people have this impression of Austin based on. They're going to parties yes. that are with all new people. Right. So they're like, no one lives in Austin. It's like, yeah, but because, like, I'm not going <laughs> to those true. parties. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to the party That's with true. the guy who thinks crystals kill cure, cure cancer. Right? Right. right. Like, but there's a lot of those that, that are brand new, and they're like, I'm just going to explore us and go to all the meetups. Yeah, it's like, I did that in my 20s. Yeah. Right. right? And now right. I have a core group of friends that, like, if you hung out with us, you'd be like, oh, these are, like, cool people. These are the cool people. Yeah. But they're not, they're not the ones going out to uh, open meetups and stuff like that. I see. I used to do that when I was much younger, but not not as much anymore. Yeah. What have you learned or have applied in your life about sneaking into parties? Oh, How God. has that skill benefited you? So for some background, I had a college mentor. So I was in college. I want to learn to meet like richer people. And the, the internet was not as well established, right? So now you can listen to podcasts and stuff. So the way you met them was by physically meeting them, like being in the room while these conversations happened. They were not recorded and distributed like they are now. And so I had this mentor and he was a rich guy. I would help him with some like SEO work and stuff back then to help him with website stuff. And he would say, well, I'm going to this private party with Elton John and like 200 other people. And they all know each other. He's like, but if you want, you can crash it. So it's like awesome. There's all these like tall white guys. Uh, It's like me. I kind of look more like the help than anything. I look like a waiter and I didn't even have any nice clothes. I didn't have a tuxedo and it was like a black tie thing. So I wore my best shitty clothes, like some baggy beige pants, a big black shirt. I looked like a waiter actually because that was what the waiters were wearing. And um, I, I snuck in and I remember it being shockingly easy by just walking through. There's not like a lot of security. This isn't the no. TSA scanning you. This isn't a federal crime to sneak into a Four Seasons, right? Yeah, Like no matter what, I wasn't going to get arrested. I was doing nothing illegal. Morally, well, okay, fine. You could say I was sneaking into a charity we fundraiser. We just call that social engineering. Yeah, fine, fine. Call, call yeah. that for what it is. I I agree with you. But yeah, yeah. in terms of the law, I was doing nothing. And so I was just like, okay, the worst thing that can happen is they say, hey, back your bags, buddy. Just get out of here. And I'm like, okay, I don't give a I'll get kicked out of a place. I don't care. And so I remember going to the first one I went to was like the big leagues. It was like uh, this Elton John thing. Elton John was playing a private fundraiser at the Andy Roddick Foundation. I've since met Andy Roddick personally later and told him about this and he thought it was hilarious. And he was playing for only 200 people. Everyone knew each other. So, and I was pretty shy. I wasn't, I wasn't as uh, open as I was now. And I remember I had this tactic that I would go to the bar line I would stand in the bar, line because I didn't know what else to do. Like, I, I didn't want to be the guy just sitting there on my phone, like not talking. The point was to meet people. So I'd stand in the bar line. It's always free booze. And so that means that there's a little bit of a line. And invariably, some guy would stand in front of me or behind me. And I'd be like, man, this line's long. I want my booze now. That was my opening line. I swear. <laughs> that, that, that was my line to like talk to other guys there. I was, to be honest, like afraid to talk to the women there. Cause I was, I don't want it to seem like I was hitting on them or something. And I feel like it was like someone's wife. And I don't know, I was young. I was, there's just like yeah. not something I was cued in on. And so I would talk to these guys. And uh, they'd be like, hey, uh, I'm, uh, my name is Bill, whatever. I'm like, hey, Bill, how's it going? So I'd be talking to them. I'm Neville, whatever. So now we're talking. I told them I ran an internet company, which I did, but it was small. And, and this is like around the time of the internet bubble. So they may have thought I was some like millionaire kid, you know, the internet uh, bubble at this party. They didn't know. And so it's a little bit faking it. And then we'll fake it, happen- to you make it
0: right. Vegas you made it now. Yeah, so I was answering there questions. I did run an internet company. Yeah.
1: I did make my living online, and there, a lot of times they were fascinated by that too. So they'd ask me questions, which is mm-hmm. which is very helpful. And then the other thing would happen was we'd be sitting there in the line. Everyone knows each other. So what happened is this guy Bill would then know Johnny, and Johnny would walk by and be like, "Hey, Bill, what's up?" And Bill's like, "Oh, this is uh, Neville. I just met him." So this Johnny guy just seeing Neville. And he's like, who? I guess he belongs. He's talking to Bill, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so now I started working the room, and that was the definition of working a room. So I kind of I would remember everyone's name. I had a, a thing in my head where I try to remember everyone's name. Like I'd be like, Bill, cowboy hat, uh, something like that. Johnny, blue suit. And I would say stuff like those those mnemonics, you know, to help you remember names. And I thought it was very important to remember their first and last name, if I can, and something about them. And so like the Johnny guy coming up and joining us are twosome and is now threesome. He would be like, he'd be like, uh, he'd be like uh, yeah, my wife hasn't showed up. She's coming. She's, she's arriving late. Mm. And so I would kind of be like, keep that in my mental store. So then when it's time to look for a table, uh, like I don't have a seat, all the seats are taken. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, fuck, what do I do? I can't be the guy just like standing out. What do I just go to the bathroom the whole time mm-hmm. while they're doing the fundraiser? And so I remember seeing like a seat next to that guy and it was an open seat and I'd be like, "Hey, Johnny, your wife's not here yet. Mind if I join you for a bit? My table's boring." Mm. And I would do stuff like that and people would see me coming in being, "I know that his wife is late. He knows me." So I would like become part of that table. Mm-hmm. And it really had to be on. It was very nerve-wracking for me at the time. Um it's also why I crash parties alone. I crash parties with people a couple of times mm. and what would happen is you just end up talking to them yeah and you don't branch out you have no fire behind you you don't have anything pushing you Mm -hmm. and so that was the way that i would meet all these like wealthy people and just kind of like chat with them they had no idea that like i was like kind of bro college student i had some money but i was not wealthy enough to afford this party do you still do this no, I mean now, now like well, I not, that, in, we not, not <laughs> that we know of. Not that we know. I can also get yeah. invited to these parties now. <laughs> yeah. So, so then here's the funny thing. Uh-huh. I did start getting invited. So I remember uh, there's this one guy that owned Golfsmith, one of the mentors' friends, and I, and I was like, "Can you be my mentor? Can you, I talk to you every once in a while?" We started going to Starbucks and stuff. He would invite me to parties. Other people would invite me to parties and tell me about stuff. And it it kind of lost some of its charm that it was like, you're getting invited. Yeah. That like wasn't as cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't have to worry about anything. I really liked that feeling of chaos and that I might get caught. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's something exciting about it. Yeah. How do you apply that to other parts of your life? Well, if I need to work a room for some reason, I think I can. The other thing is one, I don't drink when I go to a party immediately. If I have to, if like my brain is going to be the main thing in that party, like it's not just like dancing or something, Mm -hmm. then uh, I try to abstain from drinking as much as I can up until later in the party. So I don't get there and get wasted. That's another thing I learned. Cause when you're young, dude, when you're young in college and you're at this party and there there's like drinks that would otherwise cost $20 a pop for free. (laughs) You're like, I'm going to drink all of these things. And so I, I remember thinking like as soon, as I got buzzed or something, my mental faculties were slower and I couldn't uh, play this game in my head as fast. Yeah. So I learned that. That's one thing. And then also just like, um, I remember getting people's first and last names. If I can remember, if it's a smaller event, I try to be the one to reach out to people. Like if there's like a awkward pause in a group or there's like uh, someone state, like a group standing over there, try to like, you know, say hi. Like be the one to reach out, and then invariably people will reach out to you. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing, like making people feel comfortable. I think uh, your buddy Nick Gray is great at that. Just like going up and introducing himself. Oh yeah. You don't have to use any clever pickup lines. You'd be like, "Hey, I'm Neville. How's it going?" Like, yeah. Just talk to people. It's just yeah. your
0: friendly energy, right? Just, yeah. You know, having that body language of being open. Kind oh, of makes oh people here, here's want another talk thing. I mean,
1: now I intuitively know it, but matching someone's energy is important. I think I can be very high energy. Especially like at one of these things, my, like, my adrenaline's rushing and everything. And hey, I'm Neville, blah blah blah. And for you, you seem like a guy that'd be like, all right, this is this guy's interesting, whatever. But then for like uh, maybe like a quiet female, that might be a little bit like, whoa, this is intense. Yeah. Right. And so you have to kind of like, okay, this person's a little more subdued. Maybe don't come at them at a 10. Let's like meet them at a four. Yeah. Right? Sense. Be like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Uh, so, so that was another tip I learned. Yeah.
0: Nice. How do you come up with all these like crazy creative ideas? Because like I think you've also done a lot of um, very random business things, like like helping uh, poor people sell uh, water bottles on the side of the street, yeah. <laughs> right? Like just like just like you like you you look at every situation, you kind of turn it into some random creative opportunity. I'm curious, like kind of what is the like thing that's causing that? How do more people develop that skill? It's usually like a
1: dumb idea, and then you think about it a lot, and you're like, I mean, I could just do it right? And and share the results. So I remember like the homeless thing, I remember telling people about it and everyone was like, this is the stupidest idea, like to go homeless, like you're going to die or something. Like everyone thought I was going to die or get AIDS. That was the prevailing thing back then. Yeah. And um, uh, especially my, my family wasn't exactly too keen that their firstborn son was going to pretend to be homeless. Like that wasn't fun either. But I remember thinking like, man, I, this is a thing that's come up many times in my brain over the years. And it's just one of those things that you're not, you're going to regret the things you don't do. So, of course, it's like the, the day I walked out the door doing that, I was like extremely nervous. I was just like, you know, are people right? Like, am I going to get hurt? Like, could I die? This could literally be a thing where I die. Yeah. Like, I might get murdered. Yeah. And, and like, this was like a very normal thought that people had. But I remember like just, in my initial work with homeless people being like, and keep in mind, this was like 10 years ago, homeless people. I think the homeless situation is like meth fentanyl is on a way crazier yeah. scale. I probably not would not do this in the same capacity today. But back then it was mo- mostly like, just like a uh, winos and stuff like that. And so I remember thinking like everyone thought it was a stupid idea, but they were like, that would be pretty cool to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, <that's right>. Everyone <laughs> yeah. was like, that is cool. And I'm like, it is right. I know it is. Everyone but, wants to do it. They just don't want to be the person who does it. In my head, I've always been okay at risk. Like so, I remember for my birthday, uh, me and my buddy Noah Kagan, uh, a couple of uh, friends, my brother, we illegally went to Cuba for my birthday, illegally. And so, like, yeah, this is a, this is a communist country. If you get in trouble, like, you can be. And so I remember thinking, like, okay, what's the risk here? And so you have to, like, really analyze it. Like, how many Americans get in trouble for going to Cuba? What are the actual laws? Where can you go? So you found out, like, the Swiss embassy is a place you can actually go that's friendly with America. Like, that's the secret thing to do. And then, like, if you really get in trouble, what could you do? And then I also had a contingency fund where (laughs) – I was like, there is a 1% chance that we do something stupid and get arrested. And then when you're in the Cuban legal system, it's not going to be good. And so what I did was I put a, I, I, this is a real thing. I made a contingency plan. And so I planned for these. I said 99% chance, 98% chance we're going to be fine. 1% chance something small happens and we get off with like some sort of bribe. And you go to India all the time. You understand how these countries work. And then 1% chance we get into some serious shit, right? Like some big misunderstanding happens. And for that, I was just like, there is this 1% chance that this can happen. Therefore, I'm going to plan for it because this would be bad if we don't have a plan. And so I put $150,000 in cash in a checking account and get put it in a Google Doc, the bank routing numbers and everything, and sent it to two very trusted friends. And I said, look, in case of emergency, here's access to a thing that's going to give you resources in the name of a lawyer that will kick things in motion that will get us out of whatever weird situation that may happen. I remember thinking like, that's a good way to think about life of like, okay, most likely we're going to be fine. Look, most likely we're going to be fine. 40,000 people, Americans a year go to Cuba just fine when it was legal. And then you got to know the things that had to get off. So it's like planning out percentages of, of doing things. So I think the homeless experiment, people were like, you're going to die. I'm like, well, how many people are actually dying, just getting murdered by homeless people just out there? You know, and then when you actually look at the stats, it's not like a ton. And then also, I'm not going to be like walking around with a top hat (laughs) and a a freaking, like like a tuxedo, be like, hey, look at me, Mr. Moneybags over here. I'm going to dress and look homeless, like I'm poor. Like I'm going to blend in. I'm not going to stand out. And so I thought like with all those things, there's a high probability I'd be safe. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, you can do
0: crazier things when you have a, a safer plan to back you.
1: Yeah. And like, yeah. I, I accept that there is some level of like violence that could happen, but it's also like, okay, am I going to be in those situations? Like, am I going to be getting in fights? You know, is, is that going to be a thing? Mm-hmm. I, am I going to be in areas where that depends on if likely? you want to match the
0: energy? Right. It, it, yeah. it just, it just depends. <laughs> it just depends. Yeah. So <laughs> nice. When you're doing copywriting, can copywriting be too good if it's like hmm. propaganda, right? Like then that's actually, you don't want people to be have good copywriting skills.
1: Well, it depends which side of the problem you're on. <laughs> yeah, it depends on which side you're on, right? <laughs> if you're Uncle Sam and I want you to recruit in the, yeah. the army, then so, maybe you want them to. So
0: maybe my question is like, how do you resist good copywriters? Who is the anti Neville that
1: like undoes your work because they don't want to listen to you? Well, I can't sell you something you don't want, right? So when people say like, I could sell ice to Eskimos, you're like, why? So you'd scam them. You can scam them to buy ICE, right? But you don't want to sell someone that doesn't want anything. So I think in the modern world, I think back in the day, copywriting was even more uh, crazy because... One, I think you were disremused from the customer, so I think some of the shadier people had no problem scamming people. Mm-hmm. They would put these pictures of like products, and then they would actually send them as a piece of shit or not even send them anything, and there's, there's no repercussions. I think in today's world, it's, it's too easy to figure out someone's reputation, slander them online, or go to the business, Better Business Bureau, get someone in trouble for doing fraud. Mm-hmm. And so what I always do is like I want to work with companies where they already have a product that people want. I just want to be able to sell it better. Mm -hmm. I don't want this big challenge of like, I had this shit product. Let's see if we could sell it to the world. I'm like, I don't want to sell a shit product to the world. This isn't going to work. This isn't 1920. We can pack town and leave. My name is Neville Midor. There's like two of us in the world. They're going to find me. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so and so for that reason, like I never try to sell stuff that like people don't want. I try to convince them of stuff that they would want and that would be helpful for them. And ultimately that's going to be a better business over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense, right? Like, especially yeah. if you really believe in what you have. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm more curious about the cases where like it's not malicious, but just maybe that like if I were just like quote unquote thinking rationally about the product, I maybe wouldn't have bought it. So an example is like, you know, I'm really into the kind of quantified self-fitness tracker type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so obviously all the ad tracking knows that about me, you know? And so I get ads all the time about like aura rings and then I would just like read their copy and I'm like, wow, this is a great copy. I'm like really convinced. So I bought one. And I'm like, wait, why do I buy one? Like, I already have a sleep tracker. Like, what is happening? Like, I just kind of succumbed to the advertising. So I wonder, like, if you're like a consumer, right? Are there any situations where you can maybe yeah. resist the lure? Yeah, of totally. Information,
1: and we have tons of it nowadays. Yeah. Look up Aura tracker review on Google or, yeah. or YouTube. I mean, or it's not it that it's bad. By the orange. way, like, like uh, I have an know, Aura ring. I don't wear it in the daytime, but I do right. wear it at night. Yeah. I found that's out. What I found I that's, yeah. that's what I heard. That's that's what was planning to do. Yeah. yeah. So actually, one of my my buddy Noah bought me an Aura ring as a gift. Yeah. And I was like wearing it all the time. It's kind of getting in the way when I would lift weights and stuff like that. Yeah. I didn't really like wearing jewelry or ring, but at night it was great. Like to see what my sleep score was And in the morning. I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. And it would kind of tell you like, oh, you probably went to sleep too late, whatever. So I was like, that's cool. And so you can find out those things with products. Um, and before I buy a product, I mean, I always look at the videos. I look at the reviews. Those are all ways. And by the way, those are only things we've had in the last like 20 years or so. Yeah. Or maybe not even like video is like pretty new. And so we have all sorts of information to dispel bad products. So products back in the day, there used to be a lot of scams and a lot of frauds. So a lot of times it's not outright fraud, it's exaggeration right? They're like, this product is going to make you a million dollars a day. And you buy, it's a bunch of PDFs and you're like, well, I don't make a million dollars a day. It's like a Gary
0: Halbert letter. Yeah, exactly. I think, so, I think he's like, uh, how to make maximum money with minimum time. I actually, the really, liked, I actually really, I really like really headline. The title. The title. Yeah. That's a book title. I have that book. Yeah. That's actually a good book. That's not a scam. I really like that <laughs> <Yeah>. one actually.
1: <laughs> maximum money, minimum <laughs> time. It's, it's like just, a pamphlet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome. It's like distilled. It's like, if you
0: could like create a tweet of like The, like, most maximally concentrated
1: advertising, that would be the headline. It would. Like, everyone wants the most money with the least amount of (laughs) work, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I I remember when I first saw that headline, I was like, that is literally perfect. (laughs) That is literally perfect. And I think it lives up to its name. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I I think information is like that. I think there is this big thing of, like... um, There are a lot of people in the copywriting industry specifically, I've seen a lot of companies and stuff where they kind of exaggerate the truth. They talk about the success story this one person had. But in reality, if you really dig into it, that person maybe had one month that they made 25K or whatever. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like overnight. And they'd also been working at it for eight years. And the next month they made 8K, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're like, well... The way you're positioning it is like, this person's making 25K in profit every month. In reality, they're spending a bunch of money on ads or actually not make that much money. They only made it once. So I actually put out a tweet recently. It's like when someone says, this person makes 25K a month. I don't know about your income, but has it ever been that steady where it's like, it's always like weird floppy, right? Especially if you're a freelancer or- a Well, I'm consulting. a W2 employee, so- <laughs> So you're just part of the same issue. Yeah. But, but if you're if you're a freelancer or a business owner, you know yeah. that your revenue is lumpy. It's never like the same. Even if you run a SaaS business, it's always yeah, for lumpy. Sure. There's always something, weird expenses come up, uh, more employees, whatever. And so uh, I always find it a little dishonest the way some people present things. Right. Or when they confuse like revenue with profit or like. And and then honestly, I don't know how to say this in a nice way. I think, and I'm just going to say it bluntly because I don't know, this is the truth. I think some people are dumber than other people. Some people are physically just not as smarter. I think their IQ is lower. I, I, I don't know what other way to say it than that heartbreaking statement. And some people get fooled by others very easily. And I think there is a lot of that going on. So people will be like, wow, that guy made 25000 a month. I want to make 25000 a month. They don't even stop to think that like this may be in revenue. And like you know business owners. I've known business owners that make $20 million a year that don't actually make any money. In fact, maybe in debt. Mm-hmm. So just making $20 million a year in revenue doesn't really mean anything necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the dangerous thing. But I do think that the internet has foiled a lot of scams. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can look up someone. So if someone's saying something and promising a lot, you can say, you can look up like Neville Medora scam or whatever and see if this person's a fraud Mm -hmm. and hopefully other people put it out on the internet that they are. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's not as much of a problem, but we just have different problems, like crypto scams and stuff. But almost every time a scam perpetrates on a a lack of knowledge. So if you have more knowledge, you're good. Makes sense. Are you going to do a
0: scam debunking? channel. That
1: could be kind of cool. I I actually, one of my most popular YouTube videos, I think maybe my most popular YouTube videos called how to Scam people. Oh, okay. Yeah. How do you scam people? Well, I, it was kind of making fun of people who sell digital information in like a scammy way. First of all, you prey on the most vulnerable people, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, if you want to see the best, like the Ty Lopez thing. Kind of, yeah. I'm not saying Ty Lopez is a scam or not. I okay. think I think he's a gray area person. Yeah, I think he he appeals to people who are maybe poor, but overall his message is like read books, get knowledge, learn about things. <laughs> sure, and like yeah. you know, me and you probably have a lot of advantages of life. A kid in Ohio that's 14 that doesn't have a dad, finally listening to someone right. who appeals to his senses that is like you should read more. You know what? If Ty Lopez quote unquote air quote scams them out of 49 bucks to buy his product, yeah. but the kid starts reading more. You know what? Okay.
0: I, uh, I like that perspective because like know. like this is how I feel about Robert Kiyosaki, uh-huh. right? Like like he's a total just he just boosts like crypto stuff now. I think right? now he but, does. He used to yeah. not. He I mean he used to not, but he also used to have all these courses and stuff. So it, it's interesting because like Robert Kiyosaki was one of the first people that I like got me into like learning and being interested about business. Cause you're right, right? Like, you know, I come from an immigrant family. Like, we didn't really understand any of these things. And so, you know, it's like, oh, here's this Asian person who looks like he's successful. He wrote a book. Like, I'm gonna go read mm-hmm. it. Right. And so, you know, I read it, and that that was kind of the gateway for me to then learning about business. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's unfortunate that like a lot of his other products are like kind of scammy and now he's like just doing crypto stuff all the time. Hmm. So it's like, you know, even though I don't support what he's doing, it's like I can still appreciate and give credit for. You know this person that I can identify with, who like kind of opened the door for me to then continue my learning
1: and. I think it's get all more like this business. like liquid process that's yeah. ever changing. And just because you like someone at one point doesn't mean you always like them. I'm sure you've right. uh, been in a relationship with someone, and then you've been out of a relationship with yeah. someone. And it's just different periods of time, right? And you take from it what you will. And uh, but I mean, yeah, I like the it. point you made too,
0: right? Which is that like kind of. You know, from our kind of high vantage point in the clouds, we can be like, oh, these people are just scamming people and blah, blah, blah. Right. But there's a difference when it's like, you know, you don't come from a privileged background. Right. And like, these are the closest people that you can relate with. Like, You've never even known someone with a big house
1: before. Right. Yeah. Or a house. Yeah. Yeah. So So, like I I grew up and I'm a Zoroastrian. That's our our religion. We're like half Iranian, half uh, Indian. And I was fortunate enough that like most Zoroastrians were pretty successful. So growing up in Houston, we had a lot of Zoroastrian family. I had a total like good parents, like, like I'd say, you know, top 99, 1% percentile thing, parents. And we had a lot of family friends that were wealthy, that owned businesses a lot. Mm-hmm. Like we knew people that drove Lamborghinis and stuff like that. These were like our friends. And so I grew up in that area where like, we didn't specifically have that, but I was adjacent to it. Mm-hmm. Like I knew people with big houses that you drive down the street and you're like, holy shit, what is that thing? Like you knew those people. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 10th grade, one of my mentors was my, my friend's dad who ran a big company and I was like, well, what do you do? And he was like, come work for me. I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour. He, I just hung out with him all day. Yeah. And like as a CEO, and I got that vantage of training. So when someone says like, I'm not, I don't want to talk about these specific people like Tyler Lopez or whatever. But when sure. someone says like, oh, scammer, it's just like, well, you know, maybe it's not for me. Right. You know, maybe it's for the 14-year-old that didn't grow up without a dad. Yeah. So like that might be the target market more than anyone. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Do you do in-person events?
0: We have before. They are hard. Yeah, they're they're more. Cause hard. I mean, you've done the Twitter party, but that felt like was that more of a one off, or do you think you?
1: I think we're doing another one. Uh, me, Cody Sanchez, and Sam Parr may co-host one or put something on. Right, but more like well, at a so Sam bar. Sam Parr is the OG like event planner to me. Feels like oh, with the hustle. Yeah, yeah, he was always good at it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not big on the events I've done. I've, we did this thing called copy school that was a little more high price. We did it in San Francisco a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the events because there's just so much pressure on that one yeah. day. But I think something like a meetup, and I've done this many times in the past, where I'll hold a meetup, kind of provide some appetizers and light alcohol, and say, we're all meeting up at this uh, hotel lobby. I've done a lot of those. And that's a lot easier because you're just like people are gathering. You don't have to, re- you're not really renting out the space. You're just telling everyone where, where to go. Yeah. That's a little bit easier. But if you're hosting an event, those are, difficult. Why have you done them? No, I'm just curious. Like, uh, I used to go to you know, a lot of conferences when I was younger. Right. Um, I remember when I was 30, 29 or 31 or something, something like that, I spent $120,000 on travel. That year. Wow. Yeah. On conferences. Cause some of those conferences are expensive, right? Yeah, like right. Three grand, five grand. And then like the flights and like last minute flights. And then I got to go from this conference, to that conference and that flight costs $900. Yeah. So yeah. And then you have to buy all your food or whatever. And so, yeah, I remember I used to go to a lot of conferences and they were great. And that's a lot of way how I built my uh, network huh. too. Have you heard yeah. of paper call? Paper call? No. So,
0: so this is something you might be interested in, which is a lot of conferences, if you speak at them, you'll get in for free and they'll pay for your travel and lodging. Hmm. And it's actually surprisingly easier to speak than you think it is, right? You think that's like, oh, this is like some exclusive conference. Like I have to be invited. and But actually a lot of conferences Especially for the like more minor like the breakout sessions, mm-hmm. they struggle to find speakers, mm-hmm. good high quality speakers. And like you're a good high quality public speaker, oh, right? <laughs> and so that is a in-demand thing that people will pay you for to go to conferences and they'll cover all your expenses. So there's this website, it's called paper call, hmm. where basically it'll show you all the conferences. This is mostly focused on tech, but I'm sure you can find stuff that's related to marketing or you know, whatever topic you want. And they'll just list like, hey, we're a conference, we're looking for speakers, here's XYZ criteria that you need to apply. And surprisingly few people apply, right? And so if you just have a good solid application that's not just spam, there's a good chance that you'll be able to get in for free to this conference. And you know, you just have to give a talk at some breakout session. Have you ever done that? Um, I have not done that because I not my focus right now. I have a, a colleague of mine, that's that's like what he does all day. Huh. He runs a very successful AWS consulting business built off of going to conferences all the time because, you know, people know him. He's like, Oh yeah, you're, you know, you're Corey. Like I, I remember you from that conference. And then he, he also has this kind of social proof now, right. Of like, you know, Hey, I've given talks at like all these conferences and like nobody actually watches the talks. Right. So they don't really know what it's yeah, all I mean, about. Right. But, you know Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> No one's going to like look at hour long talks of you. I will say um, the different, but
1: the, I mean, from the time I'm 39. So like from the uh-huh. time I started going to conference in my young twenties, yeah. You actually went to a conference to hear the talk because right. you couldn't hear that anywhere else. Yeah, now we I have see. YouTube. I can watch Elon Musk talk to Warren Buffett or whatever. I don't know, anyone. Yeah. So it's like, I, I can don't watch... think that conversation's happened, but that'd be cool. It <laughs> hasn't <a>, has <laughs> yeah. happened. I made that out, but I'd love to see it. But, yeah. but that kind of thing happens all the time. You watch all these awesome people talk for uh-huh. free now while you're taking a dump. So yeah. the actual talk is sometimes better online. Even at the Hustle, I remember the last few Hustle cons. Right. I remember seeing like one of the founders of WeWork talk, and I watched a couple of podcasts with him before that were edited, right? So three hour conversation edited down. To 20 minutes. Yeah. So all the hot topics all packed in one. And then listening to a slow 45-minute speech, I was almost like, I kind of already heard all this. Right. You know? I see. It was almost like the wasted time. So actually, what I always find better in the conference is hanging out in the lobby. That's far more valuable, bumping into people, meeting people casually, going to events afterwards. But the actual talks themselves, I'm kind of like, meh, whatever. The breakout sessions, sometimes more interesting because you're meeting people. Right. But it's more about the hang rather than the actual topic all yeah. the time, at least at conferences now.
0: I'm curious, how do you divide your time, like your personal time between mm-hmm. kind of spending time with people you already know versus like meeting new people? I guess I've changed over
1: yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of what age of you are course. as well. But yeah, when you're you young, know, you should be absolutely yeah. meeting new people. I've also been good at it uh, of like, okay, if I'm hanging out with my friends only at a place, And I want to hang out with my friends, I'll hang out with them. But if I'm trying to, if I'm at a conference, I'm there to meet other people. And so I do want to hang out with my friends, but I also do need to make an effort to at least talk to other people. And I used to set goals for myself. I'd be like, I need to say hello to five randoms. Mm. and I can't go back up to my hotel room until I do. Mm. So I would I would set goals for myself like that. And I think it's very important to like have at least some percentage. That's a good point. It's like maybe 50% hang out with your friends at a conference, but then also 50%, like you have to go branch out. You can't just mm-hmm. st- stay with your friends the whole time.
0: Track it on some tracker... Well, uh, app you have. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was just like a mental yeah. thing. About, but I wouldn't, <laughs> mental, I wouldn't make a thing to say, I need to
1: say hello to five people. Yeah. It, that would, that would be my way of like, okay, I, I don't want to do it cause it's not my natural inclination, right. but I have to. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do it? How do I do it? Uh, I don't really have a plan, so I don't know. I should, I probably have one. Well, you're thinking about it. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I think that's very important. I also uh, throw events, like smaller events. I'm not good at throwing like big ho- hosted events like the Hustle or something like that, but I'll have like six people over for dinner Yeah, that may not all know each other. Our friend Nick Gray is brilliant at it. And he will always invite kind of like, maybe like if you go to one of his parties, you might know like 30 to 40% of the people, but the rest are kind of like new. Mm. And you're like, oh, I bump into some of those. And then you see him at another party and now you kind of know that person. That's how it happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense.
1: But I think people who just hang out with their friends, don't put themselves out there, they need to set a goal to like, I'm going to meet three new people this week. It could just be saying hi. Right. That's it. But that's the catalyst to get you into the groove. And then the funny thing is once you said five, high to five people, like you kind of have this like repetition and confidence that you're like, yeah, I could do this all day. Right. Yeah. It's easy.
0: And I think also importantly, the goal has to be something you can control. Like I'm going to go talk to people and not, I'm going to be friends with them. Right. Because that's not necessarily something you can control. But yeah. Some people suck. Of, you talk to them. Yeah. You're like,
1: yeah, this ain't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm very good at aborting the conversation because like, I don't feel like, Bad that I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, some people are like I, I just get stuck in those conversations. Yeah. I'm like, uh. <laughs> well, see, I always say this. Here's a line for you. It's like, hey, lovely to meet you. I'm gonna keep floating around. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Totally understand it. Yeah. Like yeah, you, yeah. you're there to mingle and float around, and sometimes you get stuck. You're gonna say like you have a nucleus. smoke bomb in
0: your pocket at all times, just like.
1: <laughs> dude, that'd be around. so yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, they're like, dude, you're right there. I see be gone. you. <laughs> I don't think they like when Indian guys throw smoke bombs at conferences. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.
0: Oh, fun times. So you had some secret thoughts about friendship you wanted to share. What are some of those things? What were
1: my secret thoughts about friendship? Wait, let let me just cue these up. I remember when I messaged you, that was like the first thing you replied with. Oh, okay. So some secret thoughts about friendship. One, I think you should always have a plan of what to do. So if you're at a conference or a new city, you should always have something you're going to do. So if you meet someone and they are cool, like you could have, you say hi to five people. If you have something to do, you could say, Hey, we're all going to this bar later. Meet me there. Right? That's one thing. So, always having a plan what's next. Cause otherwise, you're just like, it was nice meeting you. Make, uh, you know, let's, let's hang out later. Um, I think always getting the contact information is helpful. That's something I've always kind of regretted. Like, I should just got that person's contact information. Mm-hmm. And so, I think doing that is very helpful. The other thing is, uh, I learned this from another buddy of mine in New York. He'd always do, and I, I totally stole it from him. He would do every week Taco Tuesday at his place. And Taco Tuesday is he just makes tacos, pretty basic. Everyone pitches in a little bit right? Everyone pitches in a little bit. So it's like, Hey, uh, Bill, just go chop up that tomato, chop up that onions. It's like something light, you know, mm-hmm. everyone makes it. And then you all kind of hang out and it's a great way to invite people over for a low pressure hangout, whether it's girls, guys, anything, it's a low pressure hangout where you can invite people who you normally may not hang out with, or don't know well enough yet for a full one-on-one. And that was always a nice thing. And because it's in your home or someplace that you choose, it's fine. It's like taco Tuesday. It's, it's a low pressure day. That was one of the tricks. And then, uh, man, I've I managed to make some pretty good friends. I think just uh, planning events quite often. My friend Noah Kagan was really good at this. Uh, when he moved to Austin, he moved here like three times. But the time it took, he did something brilliant. He had this, like, he called it the no networking networking event or something like that. Whatever. The, the name's irrelevant. What he wanted to do was establish himself as kind of like the guy in Austin who throws parties. And you'd think that this is hard. But what he would do is always do these at bars and so he would do that at a bar called liberty bar that's like this dive bar and on uh wednesdays or something beers are a dollar like 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 pbrs or something are a dollar and he's like free beer all night you can't order a cocktail but you order a beer and on like a uh, tuesday or wednesday night you'd be surprised people just don't drink that much mm-hmm. and so his total tab for having like 50 plus people at this thing would be like 120 bucks uh it'd be pretty cheap i've even seen it done So there's a friend group of us that started throwing parties uh, a few years ago. And I would do them downstairs at my building I lived in. And it was kind of like a fancier building, but you could rent out the whole place for a hundred bucks in like a nice area of town. So I was like, this is a steal. But then I would insist on like having a lot of liquor and then a lot of uh, Mm. tacos and all that stuff. So I'd cater food and that's a whole deal you have to do. I would hire a guy off TaskRabbit to help me because I have to like have someone go run to the door to open it for them Mm. because of the private Mm. building, all that stuff. So, I'd I'd hire someone for like 35 bucks an hour. I'd have the catering, that's 500 plus. And so, every time I did it, it ended up being like 1,000 to 1,200 bucks, which is like quite a bit. And I had a lot of facilitating to do, right? Even if I had someone organize it for me, there was stuff to do. And so, um, I had another friend who took this up a notch, a guy called John Morrow, actually. He's like a blogger guy, he's in a wheelchair. And he had it at the W Hotel, and he did something brilliant. And then all of our friends copied this. He just went we at the W hotel, cool area of town. They had this whole room and it's like a two zero or Wednesday. It's like no one there. Cause it's not a club on those days. So you get this whole area. What he did was like, he just ordered like 200 bucks worth of appetizers. He'd be like appetizer on me. Drinks are on you. If you want a drink, mm-hmm. order from the waitress. Fine. Do whatever you want. And so he'd spend 200 bucks and have the same kind of experience like I did. Nice. So it was like free food. People weren't eating like a ton of appetizers, just like a couple. And then people buy their own drinks. And then another one of our friends in town, uh, Tan Pham, he runs an Asian efficiency podcast. Him and uh, one of his buddies would do these things where they would get groups together and started getting larger and larger. And they had this problem like they had to keep buying like more and more food. So what he said was, uh, he did the exact same thing. And he just hold it in hotel lobby bars. So he'd say, hey, invite all your friends into a hotel lobby bar on like a Tuesday. There's like no one there. And the hotel lobby can accommodate a ton of people. It's got bathrooms. It's nice. All that stuff. You can buy your own drinks. So appetizers, once again, he'd order like a 100 bucks worth of appetizers. And if you're ordering 100 bucks worth of appetizers in an empty lobby bar, they're like, whoa, you're the king of this place. Yeah. So they'd give him like an, his own little area for free. And then all these people would show up. And so then what happened was, as this got bigger and bigger, he was able to tell the the, the lobby, it's like, last time we had 100 people show up. And they're like, we'll give you free appetizers to bring all the people. Yeah. And so so you could actually have people in places like hotel lobby bars, and specifically hotel lobby bars, where, like, you have places to sit. It's comfortable. There are proper bathroom facilities. It's nice. The parking is a solved issue. Like, all that kind of stuff is solved. And you just don't buy the alcohol for people. Let them do their own thing. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of ways you can host parties that are pretty low cost. Whereas the way I was doing it originally was like, I'm going to have cups and then have nicer cups for like cocktails. Yeah. And then you have to like be serving cocktails or have some guy serve cocktails. It costs so much money each time. Yeah. And I was like, fuck this. I'm going to do like cheap things.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And a hotel, it's all sorted for you. All the help, all the venue.
1: Another thing here, here's, this maybe some pro level stuff. Okay. So let's talk about this. Let's hear it. I've gone through this and I've been to a lot of friends that have done this. So, there's different ways to do dinner parties, and everyone, like, I feel like my friend group did this thing where it's like everyone hired chefs for a while, and then we all stopped. And here's the reason why. <laughs> so, you hire a chef, what happens is one, there's another person in the thing. So, let's say it's like eight sure. guys, like, and I'm just gonna say, let's say it's eight guys, okay? Yeah. Let's say you're in San Francisco, let's be honest, it's gonna be all guys. <laughs> and, and, like, where, where would you find the chef? Uh, you could find, you could type in like personal chef and find oh, a okay. people ask. You wouldn't just like go to a restaurant
0: and approach the chef. And no, like, hey. you
1: you go, you go on a uh, task rabbit. Okay. You can go on thumbtack. You go all sorts of things. You can find private chefs anywhere. Okay. It's pretty simple and a uh, varying different cuisines too. And what happens is sometimes it's like two people. Sometimes it, like, I remember one time it was like a woman and it was like in kind of close quarters. Like the, the kitchen was close and it was like eight guys talking about like dating stuff. And we like it really changed the dynamic. Uh, that there was I like see. there right. was a woman we didn't know. And like yeah. we didn't want to like offend her or say anything weird around her. Right. I remember thinking like we really censored the conversation because we didn't know her, right? right. We yeah. didn't know her well. So we didn't want to like freak her out or anything. Yeah. So we're trying to be polite. And for that reason, like it just, it changed the dynamic. And honestly, the best times I've had with friends is like you get over and and the guy like orders pizza or chicken wings or some crap like that. (laughs) Some like Uber Eats basic crap. My buddy Chandler Bolt, he does these little uh, hangouts where he'll invite a group of people and they'll discuss different topics. He gets a Chipotle catering. Mm. He orders a bunch of Chipotle. Yeah, it's, it, it's,
0: it's easy. And they have a form you just fill out. And yeah, it's like a hundred bucks. Yeah. And you
1: get like a bucket of chicken, a bucket of whatever, and a bunch of yeah, tortillas. A of chicken at Chipotle. What? Yeah, <laughs> <But> a <bucket. laughs> like a long like restaurant. Like a tray, <laughs> a tray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although KFC restaurant, yeah. that might be a fun one too. Yeah. So so I think like having like a low pressure thing and like and not making it too fancy. So the, the people doing the chef thing, it was cool, but it was almost like too formal. It's just like the chef yeah. brings out the first course and then the second course. It's nice and it's neat. But I thought it's like, I think that, was it's almost like a little too formal. Yeah. A little too formal. It's it's ultimately all about the conversations anyway, right? Like, you know,
0: people don't care about the exact specifics of like, oh, you didn't order the exact right appetizers. I like unfollow. right? I I, I
1: had this in in college. Like we'd have friends over and we'd be like, oh, we have to like make drinks, like fancy drinks for people and stuff. And I realized if you just put a bottle of vodka out, people will figure it out on their own. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. They'll get to where they need. You can put out a bottle of water and vodka and college students will drink that. Yeah, they'll just drink your yeah. bucket. Yeah. Like you don't yeah. really need to like force it in that situation. Yeah. But now, now as I've grown older, it's a sparkling water everyone yeah. wants. That's, <laughs> that's the biggest cost at any party. Oh man. Good.
0: Awesome. Well, it was really awesome talking to you. You too, man. Thanks yeah. for having me. Had a lot of fun. Sweet. Check out Neville on Twitter at Nev Med and his website at copywritingcourse.com. Special shout out to Maxi Freeni for editing the show. Thank you for all of your hard work. And I really love getting feedback from you. Tell me about what you enjoyed, any constructive comments you might have. Go to BillMay.net, that's B-I-L-L-M-E-I.net. And send me an email, I read every message. So according to my stats, only 1% of listeners have left a review. So if you haven't left a review yet, you can open up iTunes and submit one. I will do a special shout out to you. This is super important for other people to find the show. Subscribe to the show at friendshipfuturism.com to subscribe to the email list and also to get access to events, curated writing, and to join the community. All right, looking forward to your reviews and comments. See you next time.